Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast. I'm Lawrence Davenport, and I'm here with uh, Paul Davenport. Hi, Lawrence. Good to be here. Hi, Paul. This is going to be an, this is going to be one of those episodes, isn't it? So, um, in view of the fact that it's uh, movie season at the moment with the Oscars, etc., uh, we're going to title this episode "Soul." So, I right. presume, I presume, Paul, that uh, we're going to use this episode to talk about music. Is that right? Oh, is that is that what we're doing? Okay, we might we might have taken a wrong turn there then, as uh, or, or we'll a... just have a very very short podcast. I think that could um, well be the case. Um, I'm no music expert, definitely not an expert on soul. So I wondered why I think, you asked me to host this one. I think the, the idea of, of two middle-aged white men talking about an African-American music genre, that's, that's not going to go well. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster. I'll tell you what we could do, though. I'm sure we all know some, some good, good songs. So, uh, okay. so why don't we set ourselves a challenge of dropping some song titles into our into our conversation okay and, uh, I, I i respect that i respect and we that. obviously won't make it too easy no, for our listeners to uh, to spot them with, with like okay. air quotes or anything okay good so we're not talking about music we're not talking about music we've established that that's good that's behind us so what is it that we are talking about well we are going to talk about the soul and by that we mean the soul as it you might think it appears in the Bible, and we're going to get underneath the biblical meaning of of that word. You know, obviously, when we're when we're reading our Bibles, uh, you and I, Lawrence, uh, tend to read it in English. Um, mm-hmm. But the original text is is uh, is Hebrew and and Greek. But we read this English word "soul" in our Bibles, um, and the problem is that there's quite a bit of baggage that comes with that that word. Mm. So the English word that is, um, yeah. which means it doesn't necessarily represent very well uh, what the, the original Hebrew and Greek uh, words had behind them and the meaning that they were trying to convey. Yeah, so I mean, we, we, we come from a fairly um, well-established sort of Christian background, both of us, and we even, even with our backgrounds, we kind of know what that uh, cultural meaning behind the word soul is. It's, you know, yeah. And and you know it's the, the the immaterial part of the person, the thing that kind of lives on, etc. So, is that is that what the Bible is teaching us? Yeah, I mean, but that that idea about um, a immaterial part of a person that is sort of trapped inside a body, and uh, and at death it's it's released from from its prison in its fleshly body, and and does something else, goes somewhere else. You know, that's that's really something that comes from from Greek ideas, and maybe even earlier than that, Egyptian. In fact, Plato talks about. Um, I think it's in in his uh, dialogue uh, called Republic. Uh, he talks about there being a fixed number of souls. You know, it's immortal. It's there forever. You never get more of them. You never get fewer of them. That, that was his his perspective. That's very interesting. That's almost like uh, the um, the physics idea of energy and like a fixed amount of energy. And yeah. <laughs> there you go. Conservation, very the law of conservation of souls. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, it's not just um, the school of Plato's. I think it was the um, uh, Stoicism as well, which also had an idea of the soul, which was related okay. to their view of of logos. Which actually is interesting because yeah. logos is a is a is an idea that a word that appears. The word word. In fact, yeah. we had an entire session on it, didn't we? Recently, we we, we yeah. did. Yeah, fairly recently. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, Think, so thinking they, about the Trinity. And then so they have this idea of, of the soul being something that, that can be destroyed, actually. So they've got different views, again, just within yeah. Greek philosophy. But but it's a it, it's a sort of thing that 
that you would associate with Christianity as uh, you know, an immortal soul that, that goes mm-hmm. that goes somewhere. And and but for Christians who start to explore, you know, why they believe what they believe or, or where what they have been taught has come from, um, will start to pick away at that meaning and realise that it perhaps doesn't come from the Bible in the way that um, you, you might think it does. Um, and it's it's one of the big steps that uh, that people tend to take fairly early on in examining their faith and sort of deconstructing it, it a bit and, mm. and putting it back together, you know, and that's, that's not, that's never an easy thing to do. It, it's a, it can be a hard um, and uh, an emotional, you know, stressful time for people to think about their faith and kind of pick it apart and realize it was perhaps not quite so um, based on the Bible as they thought. Um, but this idea of the soul and getting back to the biblical meaning is a real uh, important step in that, in that difficult process. I, I second that emotion. Definitely. And, uh, uh, how do we do that? You know, so, you know, we've probably both been through periods where we've, you know, questioned, you know, certain topics and delved into scripture. We've got our own way of doing that. But h- how would you recommend somebody looking into this topic, um, you know, getting the most out of it and getting to the kind of core of what it is? Yeah. So, so as I said, we've, we've got to get to what the underlying Hebrew and Greek words uh, are about and what they mean. Um, we'll, we'll let's take a look at the Hebrew to start with and, and, you know, these days we've got readily available tools to get to um, the the original Hebrew words and and get to, to what they what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, lexicons and so on, and and search search engines of, of the Bible. So the, in Hebrew, the word that might be translated soul in the Old Testament is uh, is the Hebrew word nefesh, and and that it, it's it's actually a really common word. It appears. 728 times, a few statistics, mm-hmm. um, but 728 times in the Old Testament. So that's quite a lot. And, and it appears in 31 out of the 39 books. So it's pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the meaning, let's see what you make of this. So in, in the um, Hebrew, Hebrew Aramaic lexicon, this, this is the list of meanings that, uh, that come with nefesh. Uh, so it, start, it starts with throat, then neck, breath, living being, people, personality, oneself, or life. Uh, it also adds soul. But then final one on the list is dead soul. So what do you make of that 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 list of yeah. things? What kind of what kind of thing does that convey? Well, what yeah. nefesh might mean. So it's it's really interesting actually. So as almost as you were reading through them, it was taking me through like the physical process of breath to then a an allegorical sort of version mm. of that, kind of a you know what? Do, what could that mean on a, a kind of spiritual level? So it's quite interesting as you read through that. And, and I wonder whether you know, in some of these ancient languages, you know, the origins of words start with very kind of basic physical meanings. You know, the mm. throat, the you know, the part, the neck, part of the body in which breath goes in and out, food goes in and out. It's it's fundamental to living, being a living being, living breathing creature. Yeah, and therefore it comes. By extension, to mean um, more figuratively, being being a person, life, um, personality, yeah. and so kind on. of human experience. Then, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of going from like you know the uh, the the hierarchy of needs from like the yeah. <laughs> the, the, the basic bit, yeah, indeed bit of Maslow so kind of yeah. so the basic yeah basic um, requirements for for life into maybe a more civilized society where where it's uh you know takes on a more spiritual meaning but okay that's fine yeah. so we've looked at that i mean i'm not a hebrew scholar and i don't believe you are paul uh, unless you're hiding it Definitely well. not. so from that theoretical kind of view of just that single word um maybe we could pop that into context and have a look at some examples uh, maybe that's a, a good way of doing yeah. it yeah and we can see it appearing you know a number of those different meanings that i i, I read out there appearing so so there's a um there's a psalm um it's quite well known psalm 69 mm-hmm. um it's a psalm of david 
So I'll just read the first verse, which says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. That's the English Standard Version. Mm -hmm. And neck is nefesh. So that's what it means. Um, But you see it used in all sorts of different circumstances about people. So, for example, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, Genesis is closed with, uh, with Joseph, and then Exodus is about the people the Israelites in Egypt. And it says the family is 70, the family of um, of Israel in Egypt is 70 people, 70 persons. And that's the word nefesh. Uh, so just people. And, you, you know, you're probably familiar with uh, some of the aspects of the law of Moses, where certain things make the priests or people unclean, touching uh, a, yeah. a dead body in Leviticus 21, for example. So a dead nefesh um, in that case. Oh, is that, is that where that one appears, the dead bodies? Yeah, so that's, yeah, Leviticus 21, verse, verse yeah, 11. Okay, okay. If you want to check that out. So some of those um, basic meanings, and they you know, all to do with people. Hmm. But perhaps perhaps we'll spend a little bit more time looking at, at Genesis chapter 2 and look at a couple of verses there, because this sort of gives us the, the, the foundation of, of where we're going to build on the biblical meaning of this. Um, so in Genesis chapter 2, we have the... Um, the sort of second part of the creation uh, narrative. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So that's the English okay. standard version. Um, now, I think the King James Version, another version says, um, man became a living soul. Yeah. But as soon as, as soon as you, trans, you know, have it in English in that way, it conjures up all of the other ideas that are attached to the word soul. Yeah. But in the English Standard Version, it's translated as creature, nefesh, a living nefesh. And actually, it's the same. The same word appears in uh, in verse 19. Uh, now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Uh, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So every living creature, that's the same. So all of the animals um, and birds are also living nefesh. Yeah, so, so it's interesting so I'm reading the ESV as well, and they've they've made that choice to use the word creature there. Yeah, um, and it's consistent yeah. in the English there, yeah. Yeah. which, which is a, yeah, a, a better reflection, I think, of the, of the Hebrew that, that underpins it. Yeah, and you do get other ideas elsewhere in Scripture about the almost like the parity between the life and death of of humans and animals, don't you? You get this this kind of similarity between them. And I think mm. there's something in, in Ecclesiastes, I think, about the the similarity between the, the, the life of a human, the life of a, an animal, both going to the grave, essentially, both going down into dust. I think it's Ecclesiastes 3, if I remember rightly. Yeah, um, yeah I think it is. We can have a look and, at that uh, if you want. Yeah, have a quick look at that. So yeah, Ecclesiastes three. three, and then towards the end of that chapter, it's to, in, in in fact very usefully in the ESV. There's a whole subtitle which is from dust to dust, <laughs> which yeah. is very useful. Uh, but then you've got this section from verse sixteen, which is about um, I saw under the sun a place of justice, wickedness, and then towards um, verse. Uh, yeah, 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has yeah. no advantage over the beasts uh, for all his vanity. So you, again, you get that similar um, idea. And yeah. then you've got, and then, yeah. So, so it's very, it's very, it's very consistent there with with the idea in Genesis two there that you 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 saw the same words being used for the, mm. that creation event of of man and the creation event for for animals. And and actually, just a couple of verses on from that, yeah. I think you read to verse nineteen. Correct. 20. Yeah. So twenty one asks this question: mm-hmm. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down? 
mm. into the earth. Mm. So it, it poses that question. Yeah. Um, uh, the, it's almost a rhetorical question, which is, well, who knows? No one knows. So, okay. So, so okay. So looking at those examples then, we've, we've had a look at some of those. I think those Genesis ones are really critical for, you know, very early usage of that that mm. idea of that word of soul. But to me, this Hebrew is, is kind of moving us towards, you know, generically life and life being given and then all the way through to like the human experience like you know um yeah because because the word soul is used like um um the the soul that sinneth and 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 things like souls that hunger and souls that thirst we get those references as well don't we so that's like everything that's built up around the human experience So we don't get a strong indication from that of something beyond that idea. And if we were doing an honest mm. reading of those passages, we don't we don't get anything that kind of takes us beyond that meaning in the in the Hebrew at least. We certainly don't get an idea that there are two things: a body and a soul, and, and they're, they're two separate things that have existence and life separately. Mm. Um, you know, the the soul, the nefesh. Is there's the whole person is is everything that there is about about the person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, you know you you mentioned that um, the New Testament is not written in Hebrew. So it's Greek. So we'll have to deal with a, a whole other yeah set of of words or a word potentially. So w- what's soul in Greek? Yeah. When we get to the to the New Testament, um, I mean actually in the English, soul doesn't appear uh, so often. I think it's about forty times in the um, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But there's this word in the Greek, um, which is suke or something like that. And it's it's psyche, essentially, in its anglicized form. And that appears 106 times. And its its meanings are listed as life and life principle and mind and thoughts and feelings being a, a person. So it's, it's quite similar ideas to nefesh uh, from the Hebrew, but perhaps a bit more weighted towards the, the more figurative mm. meanings of mind, thoughts, feelings of a being. And... And you you mentioned the anglicised version of that, and you can sometimes well we use that word, don't you, psyche, mm. for somebody's yeah. way of thinking, the way that they behave, yeah. their outlook, etc. Yeah, yeah, and and who they are as a person, yeah. and I think that you know psyche is is probably a pretty good the way we use that in, in English uh, is probably a pretty good reflection of, of that Greek word. Yeah, so we can we can look at some examples of that. Let's have a look in Matthew chapter sixteen. So we'll look at a couple of verses here actually, because um, the the same word appears. This uh, suhe appears twice, but it's translated differently uh, across mm-hmm. the two verses. So in verse 25, uh, English Standard Version again says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. But what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So in verse 25, um, whoever would save his life that's um, psyche. Uh, it's translated life, right? And then it's the same word translated soul in verse twenty-six. So they're used interchangeably, kind of synonyms yeah. of each other yeah. in that sense. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I almost feel myself when I read that verse twenty-six because of all of the baggage that's attached to the word soul. 
you think, oh, that's saying something about, it's saying something different from just my life now. It just carries so much baggage of meaning with it that even though you know it is translated life in the previous verse, it's still, you still have to consciously think, okay, it doesn't mean anything different from the person alive. It's amazing the power of a a translator, isn't it? In in kind of, in kind of cementing ideas in your mind. Yeah. Okay. Any others that you want to do? I think the net Bible translates them both as life in that right. those two verses, the okay. New English translation. Yeah, so I mean, an, another example, in, uh, it's still in Matthew, actually, in Matthew 26. Mm-hmm. And this is talking about Jesus this time. I think he's in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and he says, my soul is very sorrowful, uh, even to death. Remain here and watch with me as with, with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, you know, that there, the, the idea of psyche, the, the feelings, the emotions, the the state of mind, the stress yeah. that, that Jesus is is under at that moment before he's about to be arrested is uh, is expressed in that way. Yeah, so his soul is very sorrowful. Yeah, so so you have that's that is like the human experience. Then it, it, that's the yeah. the example of him demonstrating emotions mm. in that way. So yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, so having said that about the New Testament, and it's you know it's interesting that that word psyche is is used in in that way in Matthew 16 particularly in that interchangeable way but there is a kind of problematic verse somewhere in the New Testament I can't put my finger on it necessarily but it talks about um not being when Jesus says don't be afraid uh, of people who can just kill the body and uh, be afraid of those who can kill the body and the soul so does that then mean or does that indicate that there is actually this twin part of a of, of a of a person. Uh, yeah, so it's, no, it's Matthew 10, verse 28. Fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's, that would be a problematic passage, wouldn't it, to, to deal with okay. in this, in this uh, context. That sounds like there's two separate things, mm. isn't it? There's there's a body and, and there's a soul. And, you know, they're, they're two different words they, and they do mean mean different things. But I suppose if the, if the question is, does that verse demonstrate that the soul is an indestructible part of a person? Mm-hmm. I, I think when you read the whole phrase, it's pretty obvious that it isn't saying that the soul is some is an indestructible thing in the way that Plato would have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it talks about you know fear that which kills both body or destroys i think the word destroy isn't it destroys yes, both destroy, body and yeah. soul and actually they're they're destroyed in the same way both destroyed both body and soul in hell and that's gehenna which is often associated with this um destruction or a sort of burning of burning of rubbish mm-hmm. uh, outside jerusalem so so it doesn't really appear to while it does make the distinction between body and soul then maybe we can come back and think about what that might mean but it certainly isn't claiming that the soul is an indestructible thing. Yeah, it's it's clearly saying it's, it's destroyed in the same way that a body can be destroyed. Yeah, that, I mean that's very that's very important actually, isn't it? Because one of the fundamental parts of the cultural view of the soul is that it's it's immortal, and therefore mm. then what would that mean in that in that respect? You know, mm. if it can't it can't be destroyed, then why is it saying that? So it must mean something else. Yeah, and, and if you know the the soul, if that's the psyche much more associated with who the person is, you know, what makes that individual that individual, you know, their memories, their experiences, their, the way they think, the way they feel, the way they react. That's a, a different concept. You know, Jesus is saying, well, that, that can be remembered 
and recreated. Yeah. Okay. So is um, is that is, is it kind of to summarise then that view? W- would it be fair to say a bit like a Braveheart? You can take our. I can't remember the exact <laughs> phrase now. Uh, but it's almost like you can take our lives, but you can't take our faith. It, it's that freedom. kind of idea. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to throw I'm going to throw just random like difficult passages at you now, uh, Paul. So, which is okay. you know, a good way of, let's, of let's. Test, t- testing <laughs> a theory. Uh, so, I think it's in Philippians one where um, Paul says about um, Paul the apostle. This is yeah. he says that he will be with Jesus when he dies. And, and so, again, is that not another little piece of evidence that supports this cultural view of the soul? Let's have so a look at those um, Philippians one, those. I believe, verse twenty-three. Yeah. Shall I, shall I read those for, for you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Philippians 1, verse 23, uh, again ESV. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Okay, yeah, so so he's. I think he's in prison when he's writing this, and so he's a bit uncertain about his, his future, and so he's... He's caught in a dilemma between, you know, do I just, if I die, that's good because I will be with Christ. But if I remain alive, that's better for everybody else um, and the churches that he's ministering to because he'll be able to continue his work preaching the gospel. I think that's that's basically what it's saying. But so, so I think what, you know, if you come to that verse with the idea that there's some part of us that's called a soul that is immortal and indestructible and must live on at death. Mm-hmm. Then I, I can see how you would read that and say, well, that's that's what Paul is talking about. His um, his soul is going to depart and be with Christ. Mm-hmm. But but does he does he say does that verse say that that would happen that he would be with Christ immediately? I'm not sure it does. It certainly says he would he would then be with Christ after after death. So I guess what we have to do is look. Well, is there anywhere else that Paul says how he understands he would be with Christ after he's he's died? And he says it a few times in this letter actually. So in in this first chapter, earlier in the chapter, verse six. So he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he's, yeah. Um, and then in chapter three, at verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. You know, that's where we belong as citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So so even just in the verses around that, Paul is saying, we're all waiting for the day of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Jesus to return from heaven. It's the phraseology, the imagery that's used. Um, and then our bodies will be transformed, um, you know, about resurrection. So just by looking at a few passages around that that one that you highlighted, you can see that when Paul thinks about being with departing his current life and being with Christ, what he's talking about is at the day of Christ, you know, and waiting for that day, and, and his body being transformed uh, to be like Jesus at, at that day. What was come out of of that small sort of deconstruction of the passage? is that actually if you come into reading these passages with a whole load of baggage, you mm. can pretty mm. much support a, a number of different views. 
Um, and it's it's a case of of honestly kind of looking at the words, the other places that it, the, the kind of references are looked at. Yeah, like when yeah. um, when Jesus spoke to uh, one of his amazing friends, Martha, and said and was talking about Lazarus, she was expecting a resurrection of of her brother. She wasn't yeah. expecting like a, this kind of a soul detachment thing yeah. going yeah. on. She was expecting a resurrection. And yeah, he she confirmed says, yeah, that. I know that in the last day. Day. Yeah, in the last day. Yeah, which again links with this quote that you've taken from yeah. uh, Philippians. Um, okay, so uh, what do we take from that then? How do we how, how do we move on from here? Well, I, th- I think that's that sort of got us to seeing that through both Hebrew and Greek, the where it might appear as soul in English, the underlying meaning is much more to do with the whole person um, mm-hmm. and, and their and their being as a as a physical person and their um, feelings, thoughts, emotions. Yes, that's all included in there. Um, but that actually the and we've just introduced it there by looking at some words of Paul in Philippians. The the thing that was life after death was resurrection, um, involving the body being transformed, um, and that's that's very much what we what we get in the New Testament, particularly. Um, but it is, I think, it is helpful just to think about what what resurrection is. Um, it, you know, the the only person in history for whom that's happened is Jesus, and you know, according to the gospel accounts, he met with his uh, his disciples. He remembered them. He recognized them. Uh, yeah. He spoke to them about all of the things that had happened uh, before he died. Um, so he was essentially recreated as the person he was, um, with, but with immortality in Jesus' case, mm-hmm. with everything that represented, that made him that person. So if you just think about what, what does God need in order to recreate a person? Yeah. In terms of the physical being, and that is almost where you get a detachment of the physical being and the, and the yeah. personality. In terms of what they need, he, need, he needs to understand what they were like as a person, I presume. That, that kind of yeah. how they behave, yeah. their faith, uh, their convictions. Yeah, and their their memories, their experiences. You know, the things in their lives that had impacted them and changed them. As all of that is recreating. You know, I don't think you know. As scientists, we're only just not that we're scientists, but scientists are only just <laughs> starting to understand what goes on in the brain when it, thoughts are formed and ideas are formed and memories are formed and so on. And what we're talking about here is recreating some person with all of that intact mm. and God in order to, or Jesus in order to raise someone from the dead needs, needs to have remembered that data, if you like, mm. put it in modern yeah. terms, the data that makes that person and, and recreate it. And, you know, I think in, in some sense, I know that's a bit of a modern way of, of phrasing it and that's not the frame of reference that Jesus was using. But when he says, you know, don't fear um, those that can kill the body, but not the soul, essentially that, that is that, it's the person, who the person is, and God can remember it and recreate yeah. it. You know, he, he made life, he made humanity in the first place. Um, it's not so difficult to believe, if you can do that, that he can recreate a particular individual with all of that intact. That's pretty yeah, amazing fact, thought, really. It is. And there is a kind of a lo-fi um, equivalent of the of the data analogy used there, which in, in Revelation and other places, it talks about mm. a book which, you know, refers to events in people's lives. And, mm. and you know, that, that, that would have been the equivalent way of, of, um, yeah. Yeah. of kind of putting that, that view forward, that idea of things that the person did were written down and, yeah. and therefore um, available for, for, for a judgment process. Yeah. And and a reconstruction process as yeah. well as yeah, know, okay. and and we can we can we can read that into what Paul meant when he said, "It's for me, it's better to depart and be with Christ." You know, Christ will will stand by me and remember me, and he will at the day uh, of the appointed day, he will he will recreate him. Very good, very good. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, 
in terms of where we've got to there, I think we've fairly clearly established that um, it's difficult to substantiate the that the the usual immortal soul type idea. And so, how did it become such a pervasive and you know entrenched part of Christian culture and teaching? That, that's a hard question um, to answer, I think, and it's it's probably one that is the subject of of many PhD theses. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but I think it's. It's um, the short answer is it, it is the influence of that of that Greek philosophy as as the Christian movement the Christian communities spread through the Roman world they were inevitably influenced by you know, the, the Hellenistic thinking in the in the peoples to which they were they were spreading the gospel and, and then after probably three or four hundred years you get to um, people like uh, Tertullian who are very clearly saying that the immortality of the soul is is his view. And, and he talks about um, the immortality of the soul, for instance, is held by many. The knowledge of God is possessed by all. I will use, therefore, the opinion of Plato when asserting every soul is immortal. So he's quite open about mm. saying, well, you know, this my proposal that souls are immortal uh, is coming from Plato. What, what kind of what kind of time was he? Was he's he in the third century, I think. So really close to, to the, well, yeah. you know, when I say close, close in... In, uh, in in general history terms to when the apostles were teaching actually and, and spreading yeah. the gospel in the same regions like Athens Seeing that really um, pervasive idea being a fundamental part of a lot of Christians' uh, teaching and their, you know, yeah. in their held beliefs, um, it, that, that really does kind of mean that we we do need to take the the approach of of constantly checking what we believe, and it has implications on the way that we yeah. we we understand I, what our faith is. I think there's there's probably a difference between what this general christian concept of those things is and and what christian thinkers in the in more recent times have said mm. so it, it's there are loads of theologians over the centuries who have said hang on this immortal soul idea is not is not biblical mm. and and i'm i'm talking about people like um archbishop william temple the archbishop of right. canterbury in the 1940s yeah. you know said that man is not immortal by nature and he says you know if men are not imported the greek and unbiblical notion of the natural indestruction of the individual soul um and then come to the new testament with that already in their minds they would have drawn from it a belief not in everlasting torment but in uh, annihilation so he's he's saying it, it's the problem is people have come to the bible with that notion already in their minds it's not um it's not biblical it's unbiblical that's um, a really brave thing to say isn't it I yeah mean, it was was that a kind of one-off thing or are we, are we I, well we it, it doesn't appear elsewhere? to be i mean there's 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 another a sort of a wesleyan professor a methodist agar beat dr beat which is not okay. some title dr. Beat, I know. Yeah. it might it should be a, it should <laughs> well, be <maybe>. definitely one <laughs> <laughs> um but you know he, he wrote a book on the immortality of the soul and his the purpose of the book was to demonstrate that it is it's um it's altogether alien from the bible it's not taught in the bible it's alien to the bible in both phrase and thought and derived only from greek philosophy so um and, he, and even in you know today um people like tim mackie of the Bible project is saying this notion of the immortal soul is totally foreign to the Bible. He says it's not at all what nefesh meant uh, in the biblical mm. Hebrew. And uh, Tom Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, 
uh, says just the same. And actually, I found on a Catholic uh, website, the New Catholic Reporter uh, says uh, Christianity does not teach. Well, it says to the surprise of some of its adherents, Christianity does not teach that each of us has an immortal soul. That instead is an old Greek idea, one which from time to time has weaseled its way into Christian thinking. So, That's so the, it's w- yeah. when you start to look around for that, it's pretty clear that you know, the voices across the Christian spectrum, if you like, are saying, "Yeah, this this isn't this isn't from the Bible." Mm. And it's almost like the um, that's the the academic um, view of that. Having looked at it, you can't really deny mm. it. But it's the it's what's in the minds of the cultural Christian, the mm. kind of the non-academic Christian, isn't it? And yeah. So what's yeah, the implication of this for, for for other topics? Really, what, what's the well, and I think you can, you, we can start to see why this idea and, and sort of getting back to the biblical meaning of those those words, nefesh and, and psyche, is is a really big step and maybe the start of a journey towards um, a, a biblical understanding of um, of the gospel. And, and it has all sorts of implications. I mean, what if if there is no immortal soul in that platonic sense, then the idea that that soul goes to heaven or hell in the common conception is is also um, kind of you pulled the rug from under that idea. So then you've got um, other ideas about okay, what replaces that, and and where where else do we see that? So um, we see we've already spoken about resurrection a little bit, and the king and kingdom, yeah. and, the, and the kingdom. Yeah. That's a very, you know, those are all things that are tied up with this life after death type concept. Yeah. So where um, the kingdom is? Um, yeah. Where become, where is the kingdom? Yeah, yeah. A, a different sort of question. And and even actually, I'd say thinking about well obviously human nature what is what does it mean to be human being and jesus as well as as a human being you know the the idea that you know if the idea that there's an an immortal part of a person that pre-existed and and then was in in their body for a while and then carried on afterwards you know that sort of supports the the idea of jesus being the second person of the trinity um complementary to that uh, but if that's not what those biblical words mean then it has implications for how we think about jesus as as the son of god yeah, rather than God's so, son. Yeah, so how do you feel about smashing people's faith in this way, then, Paul? You know, <laughs> well, well, of... <laughs> this is yeah, and this is, and, and, and we'll, we'll we'll try and turn it around from from that <laughs> that point, I guess, before we finish. But you know, it, it does start. It's one of the. It's a big thread that if you pull on, it starts to unravel all sorts of things that that might have been constructed about around a, a, a typical Christian theology. And and as you start to do that, you might feel you know the bottom's falling out of what I believe, and you know no longer rely on it, be passionate about it, you know, the thrill is gone in, in what you believe. Um, but I would say that it is possible to put the pieces back together again, um, you know, look at those biblical words, think about those biblical ideas, um, and they actually come back together into what I think is a more complete, compelling, and fulfilling set of ideas that are inspiring and motivating. Yeah, so I suppose if you've, you know, if it's, if it's easy for us as, you know, non-theologically trained, mm. you know, academics to quite easily pick one of these fundamental topics and to and to question it and to show strong evidence that it's not taught in the bible then he essentially it's the the analogy that jesus uses um about the house built on sand and a house built on rock Mm. what you're saying is deconstruct that house built on sand and reconstruct it on Mm. that rock uh, which is the things that you know we know that there were christians in the first century who had a strongly held faith based on something what was mm-hmm. it? Um, if it's not these things around soul, heaven, and hell, as we th- we thought of it or we grew up thinking of it, it's got to be something else. But it's it's in the Bible. It, it's mm. there. It's discernible. Um, it's just detaching it from the kind of cultural ideas you're coming to it with. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I think we've uh, probably used our allotted time here. So the question is, uh, how many of the people who were listening all the way to the end of our podcast there um, managed to get all of the song titles? And I, I believe there was four that we managed to uh, um, shoehorn in did. there. So yeah. Stand By Me was, was an obvious one. Um, ben E. King. Uh, Respect was my early attempt yeah. at trying to get a... <laughs> Got straight in there. Yeah, Aretha Franklin, obviously. Uh, the Thrill is Gone was one that you just got in towards the end there. BB yes. uh, King. And then you know, Smokey Robinson and I Second That Emotion was a tremendously obvious um, <laughs> and not a phrase that I generally use day to day. So, well, how many of you how many of you got all of those song titles? That's, uh, if you didn't get anything else out of this uh, yeah. um, podcast, maybe, maybe you've learned some uh, t- song titles for soul. So, thank you very much uh, for... And listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Um, as always, you can reach us on Facebook uh, and, our, and our website, uh, biblefeed.org. So please uh, contact us there, join the conversation, um, give us some feedback on the on the things that you've um, heard on this ca- uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank okay. you. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think hear your questions or subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm